When the day of Pentecost had come, the apostles were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. Kadeem, if you come forward, I'll pray for you. Mm. Father, we just want to thank you for the life of Kadeem. Thank you for his heart for the gospel. And we just want to pray that as he speaks today, you will take his words. And just as you changed the normal speaking of the, these people into languages, so I pray that you will change the normal speaking of Kandim into words that the Spirit can use in each of our hearts, that as we hear, we will hear what you're saying to us specifically. I ask it in your name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Brilliant. So like Steve said, I come to you from the far and distant land, the western land of Ichthus Hope Congregation in Mitcham. And I come bearing a lot of love and a lot of greetings from your brothers and sisters in Mitcham. Even if you don't know them, they love you and would want me to send you their greetings. So that is that. Now, if we read this passage, I think that we do ourselves a massive disservice if we think about a day like Pentecost, the day when the Spirit was poured out on the church, and we stop at thinking of stop at thinking of our personal experience of the Holy Spirit. I think that is brilliant. We've had some wonderful testimonies of what the Spirit can do in our lives. And the New Testament has so much to say about our personal experience of the Holy Spirit. But I think if we read a text like this, seeking to hear what God has to say to us today, and we approach a passage like this, I think we're selling ourselves short if we just think about the ways that God wants to come into our lives 
and bless our lives as individuals. Do you know, I don't know if you picked it up, but Luke's language in this passage clearly helps us to see that something far, far bigger is going on in this day. Something far bigger and far better. Men from every nation under heaven. Something huge is happening at Pentecost. Or think about this. I don't know if you picked up this list in verses 9 to 11 of this passage, a long list of nations, the kind of list that, if we're honest, we kind of switch off a bit when it's read or if we're reading it. But actually, if you think about it, Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, decided to spend more ink and papyrus on listing out all of these nations than he did on the things that we're really interested by in this passage, the things that we think are important, like the rushing wind and the tongues of fire. The way that Luke wrote this passage under the influence of the Holy Spirit points us towards the reality that the significance of this day, Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was poured out on this church, is something far bigger and better than just my and your personal experience of the Holy Spirit, as great as that is. It is about the very thing that God has been at work in this world for for millennia, to draw the nations of this earth to himself. If we take this passage as one of the keys to understanding what Pentecost, what the Spirit being poured out is all about, A large part of that significance, we have to conclude, is God's desire to see the nations come to him. And more than that, God's desire to use his people in seeing the nations come to him. And so that's what I want to think about for the next 20 or 30 minutes. The Holy Spirit and the hope for the nations. And... I really feel like the Lord gave me three specific images that's going to help us to think about this. And I want to say, just as a bit of a preamble, these are maybe slightly provocative images, um, but I want you to know that I'm really not saying them flippantly or lightly. These are things, like I said, I really believe they came from the Lord, and even then, I really have tried to get before the Lord and offer them back to him and make sure that this is really what he wants to say. So... The first image is of boxing the Holy Spirit in. This idea of linking the Holy Spirit and the hope for the nations of this world to know God, I want you to know is not some novel preaching point that I've tried to kind of wangle out of the text. This is a theme that is consistent and clear from the beginning of the Bible right to the end. Genesis chapter 12 is one of the most significant moments in the Bible. I'm not over-exaggerating that. If you were to choose 10 of the most significant moments in the story of the Bible, Genesis 12 would probably be there. It is the moment when God calls Abraham, the man from whom the nation of Israel and eventually our Lord Jesus would come. And I'm sure many of you know this story. God calls Abraham and he says, I want you to go. I want you to leave your land. I want you to leave your father's family. But he makes him a promise. He says, and I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And in you, all 
the families of the earth will be blessed. This was right at the head, right in the core, right from the beginning, right at the centre of who the Israelites were to be. And you know, throughout their history, some of them got it, some of them saw it. If you think about Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works amongst all the people. Or when you think about another very significant moment in the story of Scripture, when the temple of Jerusalem was built. And I don't know if you remember, King Solomon, he prays this epic prayer to dedicate the temple. It's a very long prayer. It's one of those prayers that you're kind of hoping that amen comes at any moment. And I'm going to read out a section of it. I won't read out the whole prayer, don't worry. It's in um, 1 Kings 8, and it's not on my PowerPoint, so I'm going to just read it out from the text. 1 Kings 8, and then from verse 41, I think. So Solomon's praying to dedicate this temple, and he says, When a foreigner who is not from your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, For they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays towards this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according for which all the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Solomon got it. He saw it. Solomon was praying according to God's heart that by his spirit through the witness of his people the nations of this world would come to know and worship this God throughout their history some of the Israelites got it but by and large they didn't by and large they missed it they hindered what God was wanting to do they boxed in what the Holy Spirit was trying to do through them. They boxed in what the Spirit of God was longing to do amongst them. And that's why God raised up the prophet Ezekiel. And one of the critiques that Israel has to say to the people of Israel is this. He says, this is Jerusalem. I have set her in the center of the nations with countries all around her. And you need to know, he's not talking about the geographical location of Jerusalem. He's talking about the calling of Jerusalem. He's saying that you had the purpose that all the nations were supposed to look in on you and say, wow, something good is going on there. I want to know their God. But what does he say Israel done? And she has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than all the countries around her. Instead of the nations of this world looking in at Israel and thinking, wow, something good is going on there, they looked in on Israel and said, wow, something repulsive is going on there. They hindered, they boxed in what the Spirit of God was wanting to do in drawing the nations to worship Yahweh. And we know, don't we, that we, we are big on Ichthus, that we worship a God of free will. God is not going to force his people to live a certain way if they do not choose to. But we also know that we follow a God who is wise and who is strong and who ultimately, eventually, 
will fulfill his purposes. And that's why a few years later, he prophesied through Ezekiel and said, I will manifest my holiness amongst you in the sight of the nations. This was the prophetic promise that he gave to a disobedient Israel. And notice that he wasn't going to restore Israel just for their sake. He was going to do it in the sight of the nations that they might see and know. And as New Testament people, as Holy Spirit Pentecost people, we can look at this text and we can know that in the Spirit, what Ezekiel saw when he said, I will manifest my holiness amongst you, he saw something, a glimpse, a shade, however blurry it was, he saw Acts 2, he saw Pentecost, he saw the Spirit of God poured out on God's people. And you know, going back to this image of the Holy Spirit being boxed in, it's almost as if Acts 2 is like the moment the Holy Spirit breaks free. It's like an explosive outworking of his activity. It is incredible what happens in this passage. You know, I'm sure many of us here have heard stories or maybe experienced ourselves when someone has spoken in tongues and someone else has heard their own language. In fact, I'm pretty sure that there was a story from Summer Project, Forest Hill, a couple years ago when that happened. But what happened here was a whole other level. Think about it. A group of at least 12 people, probably a lot more, all speaking in tongues at once. Do you think anything is distinguishable? Do you think any sound is distinguishable? And yet there is not one but many languages heard from many different nations. This is miraculous to a whole nother level. It is an outpouring, an explosion of the Holy Spirit who for centuries has been by and large boxing. But here in this moment, he has poured himself out on his people in the sight of the nations. But... Pentecost wasn't just a fulfillment of God's word to Ezekiel. It was a fulfillment of the whole history of Israel. Do you know, going back to that Genesis 12, the promise to Abraham that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed. As God poured out his spirit in front of all of these nations, people were blessed from all over. But even before Genesis 12... There's 11 other chapters in the Bible. Check my maths. And whereas Genesis 12 focuses and hones in on the history of the Hebrews, the first 11 chapters has a more universal scope. It focuses on the history of humanity. And I wonder if any of you can tell me what significant story happens just one chapter before in Genesis 11. Babel, yes, Babel. The story where men and women tried to build up their tower as high as the heavens. But when the Lord had to deal with this ungodly unity that was amongst them by confusing their language. And what happens here at Pentecost in Acts 2 when men and women are gathered from every nation under heaven and the Lord brings about a beautiful, godly unity by a confusion of language or tongues, the same word. 
This moment is not just the fulfillment of the story of Israel. It is the fulfillment of the story of humanity. This is the reversal of Babel. This is something huge. What me and you are caught up in when we receive the Spirit of God is something huge, as huge as restoring unity to humanity across the globe. And I want you to really understand that in your context, that when you see or hear about the crazy brokenness in all around the world, God has filled you with his Spirit so that you can be part of the solution. This thing that we've been caught up in by receiving the Spirit is that huge. And so the question that we are confronted with today as we celebrate Pentecost, as we remember the Spirit being poured out, as we see ourselves as a continuation of God's people and God's purposes, is are we going to box the Holy Spirit in? Are we going to be like the people of Israel? Or are we going to be Pentecost Christians? Are we going to be people who, in some way or another, are playing our part and contributing towards reaching the nations? Are we going to pray the kind of prayers that Jesus instructed us to? Send out workers into the harvest field? Or the kind of prayers that Isaiah modelled for us? Here I am, send me. And we're going to talk about in a minute practically what that could look like for any of us. But the first and foundational question is one of the heart and one of the will. Are we going to confine and box in what the Spirit is wanting to stir up inside of us in terms of his desire to reach the nations? Or are we going to open ourselves and put ourselves in positions where we can receive something of the Lord's burden for the nations of this world. The second image requires a bit more description and imagination. So you might want to close your eyes if you're that kind of person. You don't have to. But what I want you to do is I want you to imagine that you are at the Last Supper with Jesus. And just like the beloved disciple, you're reclining next to Jesus and eventually your head rests back on his chest and you get so close to the Lord that you can hear his heartbeat. I wonder, what does it sound like? I want to suggest that maybe it sounds a bit like this. Libya. Japan. Saudi Arabia. Bangladesh. I reckon that at the forefront One of the things foremost on the Lord's heart right now is a particular burden. And it is a burden for the nations of this world who have virtually no opportunity to hear about his son. Nations like Libya, like Saudi Arabia, like Bangladesh. The list goes on for a long time. And of course... God loves every single person in this world the same, whether you're in England or Indonesia. But it is the very fact that God loves every person in this world the same that he is particularly burdened that some of us, i.e. everyone in this room, has plentiful access to hear about Jesus and some people have none. I want you to have a look at this map. 
this map is true as of 2016, but I reckon it's representative of today still. And you'll see there's two colours on this map, blue and white. The blue dots, as you might be able to tell from the key, one blue dot represents 50,000 Christians. And so there's a whole lot of areas where there are a whole lot of people who call themselves Christians. The areas that are white on the map are white for one of two reasons. Either they're just not very populated with people at all, or they're not very populated with Christians. Areas like North Africa or the whole of the Middle East. How do you think the Lord feels about these white areas? I think it breaks his heart. I think that these nations are continually before him. I think that he is longing for his people to allow his spirit to stir them up to carry this same burden. People that whether they are called to go or stay are people who are going to be carrying and sharing something of God's hearts for the nations and continually releasing it back to him in prayer. The third image is of overripe fruit. As the church in the UK in general, we are in danger of becoming overripe fruit. We have had so much sown into us spiritually as a nation. We have had women and men across centuries being raised up by the Spirit of God. We have had revivals. We've had national reforms prompted by the activity of God. We have had a rich and radical 500-year history of the Word of God in our language. We have had scholar upon scholar to help us dig into its depths. And in general, the majority of churches in the UK have an overflowing abundance of financial and personnel resources. But if that abundance is not overflowing somehow in the direction of the nations, we are ripening past the point where we are of any real good to what God is really wanting to do in this world. Going back to this map, here's another colour, red. So a red dot represents 50,000 people who are unevangelized, i.e. have not heard about Jesus yet. And there's something that sticks out to us like a sore thumb in this map, and it is that the blue and the red don't overlap. And in some sense, that's obvious. That is exa exactly what you'd expect. It's almost tautological that, of course, where there are no Christians, people are unevangelized. But on the other hand, this presents us in a country that is blue, blue, and nothing but blue with a huge challenge. Because surely, if the Lord was getting his will, things would be shaked up quite a bit. Surely, the blue wouldn't all be clumped together like a bunch of grapes about to go rotten. Surely the Spirit of God is wanting to prompt and stir up people that there would be some mixing, that the blue would go to the red. Let's not box in the Holy Spirit. Let's not become overripe fruit. Let us be like Pentecost Christians, stirred up, carrying the burden of the nations to the world. Lastly, I just want to talk about how we should be responding to this. 
Because I'm aware that in preaching a message like this, what you might be hearing is that I think that God thinks that we should all pack up our bags tomorrow and go to another country. And I'm not saying that. My starting point is actually that every single one of us should be involved somehow in reaching the nations. And I think that for two reasons. The first is that if we are people who want to be shaped more and more into the likeness of Jesus, i.e. if we're Christians, and if you agree with me that this is something that is at the forefront of God's heart, then surely we should be wanting to carry something of that heart as well. The second reason is that the New Testament paints a picture that the primary mission of the church collective is this, is that the gospel gets to the ends of the earth. And if you consider yourself part of the church of Jesus, then you have a part to play, whatever it is, in this mission. And so I just want to share three very quick things that I think ways that we can play our part in reaching the nations. The first, some of us here, the God is wanting to stir us up to go. Do you know, I'm convinced when I look at a map like that or when I look at statistics that say similar things, that surely the Lord is wanting to send more people than are actually going. This is my opinion, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Surely the Spirit of God is trying to stir some of us up to go. And maybe that looks like the Spirit saying to us specifically and directly, I want you to go to Morocco. But maybe it looks much more subtle than that. Maybe it starts in the place that, as I've been saying, all of us should be in, which is calling on the Lord for him to give us something of his burden. And maybe from that place, a desire grows up and crops up in us that we might feel like we want to go. And maybe from there, that leads to talking and praying with our church leadership. And maybe that just results in us agreeing that this is what the Holy Spirit wants. He wants us to go. Maybe that's how some of us will be called. I don't know, but I do very much believe that the church in the UK in general, that is surely the people the Lord is wanting to send. There is surely something the Lord is trying to do and stir us up. And I just really believe that if we all just ask the Lord to give us something of his burden for the nations and we're carrying that before him, then we will know if we are people he's calling us to go. The second is that I think the Holy Spirit is wanting some of us to stay and support. And I'm kind of classing this as a big general term that could involve a lot of things, certainly praying, certainly contributing financially, but also depending on our gifts and abilities, maybe providing pastoral support to work overseas, maybe theological training, maybe help in administrating some way, maybe providing prophetic input. Whatever it is, there are so many ways that we can play our part in reaching the nations. There's so many ways we can partner with what the Spirit is doing across the world. And Again, it starts from the place that it doesn't, whether we go or stay, that doesn't mean we should have any less concern or any less desire for the nations of this world that haven't heard about Jesus yet. So in years past, 
those would have been the two ways we could play our part. But since globalization, there is now a third way, and that is that we can stay and reach the nations that are on our doorstep. Do you know, have you ever asked the question, if Jesus was around after he resurrected for 40 days, and Pentecost happened 50 days after he resurrected, why was there a 10-day gap? And what would that have been like for the disciples? But why, why that moment? And I'm sure that at least part of the reason is because at the festival of Pentecost, there was very obviously Jews from all of the nations of the world. And you catch little glimpses of how these different nations actually potentially went back and spreaded the gospel to where they were. By the time you get to the end of the Acts, there's a thriving church in Rome. How did that happen? Possibly because there were Romans here present on Acts 2. When Paul's traveling through Turkey and the Spirit says, don't go to Bithynia, is that potentially because there were people there or nearby there at Acts 2 and a church had already started there? We find ourselves in the same situation as Pentecost that in many senses, many of us won't need to go to experience or to reach out to nations who have not yet heard of Jesus because of globalization. Nations that formerly had no chance to hear about Jesus now have every chance to hear about Jesus. And I think the Holy Spirit is wanting to stir some of us up to the reality of that, particularly in London, the most, one of the most multicultural cities in the world. You know, Somalia is one of the most unevangelized countries in the world. It's also one of the most dangerous countries in the world. And in fact, one of the reasons that it has an almost 0% Christian population is because often people who turn to Jesus get killed. And a few years ago in Hope Church, a young Somalian man walked in at Christmas and decided to pray a prayer and to receive Jesus into his life. And he, in that moment, he experienced the Holy Spirit filling him to such a degree that he was convinced that everything that he had learnt growing up in a conservative Somalian family was not true. And in fact, Jesus was God. Now, sadly, this testimony doesn't end how we'd want it to, because by the time Ramadan came around and the spiritual and relational pressure started to cramp in, he decided he couldn't be a Christian because of his family. But, you know, I still see this guy and I still talk to him, and he still would say he knows that Jesus is God, whether he confesses him or not in reality. And however that guy's story turns out, I don't know and I'm not going to presume, but... What I want you to know is that nonetheless, that is so significant. Do you think 50 years ago, the idea of a Somalian walking into a church, let alone walking into a church ready to receive Jesus, was a thing that you would hear? And this is not a rare testimony. With globalization, there is a whole new ballgame in reaching the nations that have previously had no chance to hear about Jesus. I just want to finish by telling you one or two stories of people that so inspire me in the way that they've seen this opportunity to reach the nations without even going. So um, Rachel and I are actually part of a church in Bristol. So Rachel grew up in Bristol and I studied there. And an organization that is connected with our church is an organization called BISC, Bristol International Student Center. And 
on the face of it, it's not an evangelistic organization at all. In fact, they're very, very partnered with the university and their aim is to reach out to and support and welcome international students at Bristol University. But if you look beneath the surface or you know them, you'll know they're a very evangelistic organization. When they hold their big student welcome, where at the beginning of the academic year they welcome all of the international students, they have hundreds if not a thousand students, they hold it in our church building and they advertise an alpha course. And when they do their weekly kind of just lunch drop-in, all of the helpers are Christian. And they, bit by bit, they kind of sow seeds, and actually, year after year, there are loads of people becoming Christians. Some from nations that had no opportunity to hear about Jesus. But now, through this little organization, through coming to England... They hear about Jesus, and many of them spending three years at university have a, a long time to get discipled before they go back to their nation as strong Christians. Another um, story, a church that Rachel and I visited in Shanghai. So in China, the East is obviously a very unchristian country, but the East Coast has a lot of Christians. The West Side has basically no Christians. And a church in Shanghai that Rachel and I visited for a bit, they, what they do is, because Shanghai is obviously much more of a developed country and they have some of the best hospitals in the countries, often people from the west side of China go over to Shanghai or Beijing to get hospital care. And this church, realizing this, decided to start renting out apartments to people from the west of China who were coming over to get hospital treatment and in doing this they particularly have a particular ethnic minority group a Muslim ethnic minority group on their heart that they desire to reach out to and they will open up this flat to these um, these Muslims who come over for hospital treatment and they were telling us a couple stories I can't remember all of them but one of them a family came over for an eye operation and as they were staying with them, the church offered to pray for them before they went to the hospital. And through their prayers, that this woman's eye was healed. And she went back to her nation in the west of China where there are no Christians and actually with a healing testimony of her eye. And I'm pretty sure, I don't quote me this, I'm pretty sure her whole family became Christians because of that. And it is incredible that just by coming to a place where there is more access to hear about Jesus, now there's a whole family of witnesses in this part of the world where there was none or very little. Some of us, the Spirit of God is going to want to put on our heart to reach out to the nations that are on our doorstep. And I don't want to presume what that is for each of us, but I do want to say that Every single one of us have a part to play in God's desire to reach the nations. And I want to say it starts for every single one of us in calling on the Lord and asking him to share something of his heart and his burden for the nations. And so what I want to do is I just want us to stand up and I'm going to pray for us. Um, and then I'm going to hand back to Steve. So Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that 
we know, Lord, that we have your spirit. And Lord, that means, Lord, our desires change, Lord. I'm sure every single one of us have testimonies, Lord, of desires that we didn't have before we were Christians to the desires we have now, just like Donna's testimony and how things have shifted so much in the way she wants to spend her time. And um, Lord, we just pray, Lord, we admit, Lord, that we feel so distant sometimes from things that are going on on the other side of the world. But Lord, we want to pray, Lord. We want to know you and we want to know your heart. So Lord, we want to call on you to give us something of your burden for the nations of this world, particularly those that do not have any opportunity to hear about you. Lord, I want to pray that as we call on your spirit to fill us today, Lord, as we ask to be filled with your spirit, Lord, would you fill us with something of your desire for the nations. And Lord, we want to pray, Lord, that you would call some of us into action, Lord. However that is, Lord, we want to pray we would know what you are asking us to do, Lord, how you are asking us to play our part. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd just be speaking to individuals even now, Lord. But Lord, we want to agree together as your body, Lord. We want to be useful to you and your purposes. We want to um, be living our lives for the things that you are prioritizing. We want to prioritize those things, Lord. So would you come now by your Holy Spirit? Would you fill us? Would you help us, Lord, where we may even have a kind of small desire, Lord? Would you fulfill that, Lord? Would you fill that up, Lord, and allow it to increase and grow in capacity in us, Lord? We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you saved us, Lord, and we want to know the salvation of those who at the moment have no opportunity to hear about you. In Jesus' name, amen.